some dangerous large uh, carnivore out there. Yeah, I saw that bird pick a young deer off the road and fly away. And uh, it was just about getting dark, and we started panicking, running down the bridge, not really having any clue of storing rocks in our vicinity, good-sized rocks. And uh, I stopped long enough to get a 357 out of my backpack and look back, and that's when I thought I saw one. Monster Xers, this is Gunnar Monson, host of Monster X Radio, and the founder of the Sasquatch Coffee Company. And with Christmas right around the corner, you can visit Sasquatch Coffee online and get gifts for your friends and family. Um, we have mugs and gift baskets and, of course, delicious micro-roasted coffee. So go to www.squatchcoffee.com and get yours today. Order early so that make sure that makes it there in time for the holidays. With me today, as always, is my good friend and fellow Bigfoot researcher, Shane Hardcore Corson. Good evening, Shane. Yo, yo, Gunner, how you doing? <laughs> I thought you were going to launch into a rap song there or something. Yo, yo. <laughs> <laughs> That's as much as you're going to do. That's good. So how are you this this uh, Sunday evening? Doing well down in uh, sunny San Diego. Uh, doing a little vacation down here, uh, visiting the folks and, uh, uh, and whatnot. So, yeah, I'm enjoying... Uh, my my spell down here in San Diego and, and reconnecting with a, a few other um, uh, acquaintances in the research world, and, including uh, my good friend Adam Davis. I had dinner with uh, Adam Davis last night, his, his wife Nadia, uh, and that was that was a, a real treat to get to hear what Adam's up to and uh, his plans. He's got a lot of cool things going on. Of course, Adam's been on our show before, and you know he's a world-renowned kind of cryptozoologist who's. Uh, search for, you know, everything from the Moko and Membe um, down in the Congo to the Yeti in Nepal, which he was on the recent um, uh, Expedition Unknown show, uh, you know, recently. So it was a treat to catching up with him last night. Yeah, and he's, besides being a fascinating guy to, to talk to about cryptids of all kinds and, and 
he is a kick in the pants. <laughs> oh, <laughs> he has a great sense of humor and and uh, is a lot of fun to hang out with. And, and he's one of the the members of the Five Journeys Bigfoot Research Group, which we've had almost all of them on. We still uh, need to uh, corral Mr. Kirk Brown, which we're working on. So if uh, you're out there listening, Kirk, uh, message me and let's let's get you on Monster X so we can you know have the full set of the Five Journeys guys on. So um, yeah. That, yeah, that must. Uh, Good times in uh, San Diego. You were saying you were out actually in the woods. People don't think of there being much uh, in the way of wooded area in uh, the San. Mm. It's not the first thing that comes to mind with San Diego, but you said there's there's a nice place that you uh, were checking out today. Yeah, so my my folks uh, live in rural uh, East County, San Diego, and there's there's actually a tremendous amount of, of woods and forests and, and stuff down here in the San Bernardino Mountains. Uh, you got the Alpine Cuyamaca area, which is one of my favorite areas. Um, but we, my parents live out in a town called Ramona, um, East County, San Diego. And you got all, they back up to a large area, um, partly of the Cleveland National Forest. And, and um, I'm fortunate that, uh, you know, there's just nothing back there but woods and stuff. And there's a couple of uh, interesting caves. You can find a lot of Native American artifacts out there and stuff. So I used to go searching out there all the time. But, um, you know, we do get cougar and deer and stuff out in these areas. Uh, a lot of interesting little animal. So I, I like to set up trail cameras when I'm down here just to see what I could capture. Uh, my parents do own, you know, they, they have chickens and everything else, and occasionally they go missing. And uh, a lot of, a lot of cul- you know, usual culprits are the coyotes, um, but also, you know, possums and raccoons and uh, cougar and uh, bobcat and weasel. Uh, they're all here, and they're all capable of taking chickens. So I like to show my parents, uh, you know, where their chickens are going. <laughs> <laughs> well, not- so are there any Bigfoot reports from down in that area? You know what? That's a great question. Uh, I was talking to Adam uh, Davis about this last night. Uh, uh, there's actually a lot, uh, not, so, not so much recent reports, uh, not so many recent reports, but historically, um, you know, all over, uh, you know, the Alpine, Alpine's uh, got an old story of the Zuby. Um, that was investigated by some sheriffs and stuff. Um, and just looked up Zuby, Alpine, uh, California. Um, you got a lot of uh, reports in the Borrego area. You got reports. Um, Palomar Mountains got reports of Sasquatch. Uh, I mean, San Bernardino. There's a lot of reports. Most of them are older reports, but you do get some. Uh, every once in a while, you get uh, you know uh, reports. I mean, we even get bear. There are bear down in. Uh, San Diego County. A lot of people don't think about that, uh, but there are bear down here. Um, not a, a lot, and they tend to travel from San Bernardino Mountains, but they do get seen around here. So um, there are reports, and I, you know, that's kind of where I started out in San Diego with these reports um, and followed up on them and, and and whatnot. So yeah, it's a, Adam's uh, very knowledgeable on this subject as well. So it was it was a treat to talk to him last night about the Sasquatch reports in Southern California and in Northern California and, and whatnot. So yeah. Well, yeah, we got to to uh, chat with Adam at the International Bigfoot Conference. Did he make it to to the uh, summit? I I did not, so I'm a little out of the loop. Yeah, he he Adam um, was not at the summit. He's been really busy um, with some of his uh, upcoming projects. Uh, but Adam has been announced to speak at the uh, International Bigfoot Conference uh, in 2017, uh, which we both spoke at. Uh, and Adam, of course, mm-hmm. spoke then, but uh, he's going to be, uh, you know, revealing some new stuff and uh, what he's got going on. So he will be there 
And I would imagine you'll probably be at next year's Sasquatch Summit. And I, for those of you that, that aren't familiar, the International Bigfoot Conference is held in Kennewick, Washington, uh, over Labor Day weekend. And this year was the first one. Ed Brown and Russell and Kelly Accord put that together and did a fantastic job um, as a as that was my personally my first speaking event uh, and it, it was a lot of fun and we got to hang out with with uh, the other speakers as well as all the, the folks that attended the conference and had a blast so I'm looking forward to um, attending next year uh, mm-hmm. and putting that on my my schedule for years to I'm actually wearing my international Bigfoot conference t-shirt today for the show. So uh, I'm feeling it. All right. (laughs) So our guest today is Abe Del Rio, also known as elusive one. Um, He is the founder and director of the Minnesota Bigfoot research team and host of MNBRT podcast so um, I had the uh, pleasure of hanging out with Abe a few years ago uh, at uh, Todd Neese's Beachfoot so um, I'm excited to uh, get to chat with him again and let's bring Abe on good evening Abe how are you my friend hey Gunner how are you doing Shane (laughs) what's up what's up guys (laughs) <laughs> you know we're we're just hanging out over here waiting for you, so we're excited to have you on uh, Monster X Radio. I'm excited to be here. Thank you both for having me on. Such a pleasure. Awesome sauce all the way around with extra helping. Sweet. <laughs> so, Abe, for for those that aren't Monster X listeners and aren't familiar with you, can you give us a little bit of of the Abe Del Rio story? Well, he was born in the year of 1979. <laughs> 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 love to, love to, guys. Um, for me, this this whole Bigfoot research uh, all really kind of started in the early, really early 80s, to be honest with you guys. Mom and Pops would take me to uh, Como Zoo here in St. Paul, Minnesota. And just at a young age, I would be so awestruck and fascinated and scared and have all these emotions when we'd go see the, go to the gorilla part of the zoo. And, man, I mean, they'd want to go to a different part of the zoo, and I would throw a straight-up tantrum because I didn't want to leave. I wanted to stay there and see what was going on. These things just put the fear of God into me, um, for lack of a better term, really. And then, you know, growing up from a kid to uh, older kid, a big kid, and getting out of diapers and in the pull-ups and stuff, um, <laughs> and to coming to adulthood and a young man and stuff like that. Uh, I've always picked up books, and, and I hear, always hear, like, Bigfoot reports coming across the news or the radio, newspapers, things like that. And, you know, by the end of the 1990s, uh, early 2000s, they were definitely by the 1990s, end of the 1990s, late 1990s, they were still coming in. I was like, what the heck, you know? So I, I looked into it, and the eva- the vacuum effect happened. I got sucked into it because 
Because <laughs> now it was like, oh my gosh, okay. So, and then going back and seeing the gorillas, I'm like imagining every time I go to just go to Tacoma Zoo now, I'm looking at, I can never see a gorilla in the same way. I always imagine the gorillas standing up about eight to ten feet tall and just being able to walk on two legs now. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so intimidating. I mean, and now I, I think to myself, like, kind of, are you sure you still want to do this? <laughs> and and the question is like, yes, the truth is out there, waiting to be discovered. Let's let's you know, it's been a, such a fun, 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 adventurous uh, field of research, and you know, it, it just keeps on getting bigger, and there's more questions. Uh, and when you think we scratched the tr- the surface, it's you're just putting a, a small scratch on a huge surface uh, and I don't even think we've you know have have all there's just so much to be uncovered in this mystery I mean oh my gosh it's kind of time consuming mind boggling but in the long run I love doing it I love this it's some it's it's it, it was a hobby that turned into um you know now it's a passion that turned into an obsession really um <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm eating up every Bigfoot book I can get my hands on, DVD, trying to keep my ears glued to the Internet, what's going on, what is exciting. People are contacting us. We had this happen, that happened, the other thing happened, lining up guests for MNBRT radio. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, I wish I had a couple a couple more of me's to help me <laughs> to help me out. I mean, it, it's awesome. Right. I mean, the people in this community, the people in this community are so supportive. Uh, it's just awesome. Really nice, you know, people in this Bigfoot community. They show a lot of love. Uh, they got a lot of love, and and it's just uncanny, really. I mean, it's just awesome all the way around, and I love, love, love it. <coughs> Did I answer your question? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was no, that was great. That was awesome. Uh, yeah, I can just hear. I love, I'm love talking to you right now because I can just hear the passion in your voice. You're excited. You're a happy guy. Uh, you know, uh, that's really cool to hear, and that excites me when I, I talk to people like you, Abe. Oh man, it, got, it helps keep the fire burning. You know what I mean? I mean, you get out there in the woods and you're stomping around. It be you know a little negative zero all the way up to a hundred and some degrees. We're out there. We're in the field. We're we're going through the, the thorns, the bushes, twisting our ankles, hitting rocks and whatever. But, <laughs> hey, lo and behold, that's what it takes. There's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears to, you know, get to the bottom of this mystery. And Heck, I'm all in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sure sounds like it. Uh, I know you've been, you know, you, you've been at this a long time. I mean, you've really, uh, you've done a lot. And you've been on, um, you know, radio shows and lots of blog shows. And, I mean, you, you're pretty well known in the Bigfoot community, Uh and outside of it, and uh, you're like a pretty much a go-to guy in Minnesota. Am I correct? Oh uh, well, you got me blushing, but I do appreciate that. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, we we start, I started at MNBRT 16 years ago. It'll be 17 years uh, wow. in this coming May. Um, yeah, so it, it's been such a fascinating, fun. It's really been a trip without uh, with with you know. What can I say without? But with everything uh, on top of it, um, yeah, it, it's it's just amazing, man. I, and I don't see myself slowing down. I mean, sure. I mean, we're, we're I don't get every single opportunity I want to be out in the field because life throws curves at you. No doubt about that. Mm. But when I when I can get out into the woods 
and when I can hit some trees or bang some rocks, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> well, I'm there. Yeah, I mean, you got so I kind of know how you got interested in the subject, but where did where did you when did you start really getting into research? I mean, how did I mean uh, who who did you contact? Where did you go? What did you see? I mean, where did it all really uh, pile up? And you, where was your starting point? Oh, dude! All right, so. Um, our very first expedition took place in 2001 in Ohio. Mm. Now, I told, I was reading up on the course of BFRO website. Everybody's familiar with them. Um, so I was doing some research and looking at places, of course, in Minnesota and Ohio. But it seems like the most recent times, uh, as far as encounters or sightings that were happening, were in Ohio. And I was like, okay, cool, sure, why not, you know? And so I got the co-founder of my team, and another team member was interested in coming out and just go poking around and have a road trip or whatever and see what we can find. Um, whew, lo and behold, um, we found in, in one, in one, we spent about eight days out there, and in, in one of the, we went from like a, a couple of different locations, but we ended up in in Coshocton uh, uh, County, Ohio, Will's Creek uh, area, and. Prior to going there, like I said, we went to a couple other locations. First location was dead. We spent the night in a few in another location for a couple nights, I guess you could say. We found uh, what appeared to be about an 18-inch long footprint. Uh, it was just a singular one going down into a valley because there was heavy rainfall, heavy torrential rainfall the night before. Um, so you know, Will's Creek, uh, I guess you could say Don Keating, um, you know, with his tri-state Bigfoot and everything like that was going on pretty heavy at the time. And, you know, I was at that website looking around. I was like, okay, 83 there. Um, just kind of getting, like, you know, coordinates, I guess you could say, of where mm-hmm. he's been and stuff like that and familiar roads and, and so forth. Um, so we go to Coshocton uh, County, Wills Creek uh, area. There's a general store uh, right there. So we go to the general store. Uh, we tell them what we're doing out there, and they're like, really? Okay. I said, hey, guys, point us in the right direction. Have you heard of anything recently or anything like that? And they're like, well, they, the guy behind the counter, he pulls out a map, and it was really cool. He goes, uh, try Sasquatch Valley. He pulls out this map, and I'm like, wow, Sasquatch Valley. <laughs> Here's your sign, guys. So um, we go there. He points it out. We go there. We park by uh, Wills Creek. Me and the team member that was with us, we get out of the car and we start walking about 50 yards from the car, 50, maybe 75 yards from the car. And the co-founder of my team, he had uh, wasn't, wasn't really digging it that day, so to speak, and he had a higher point of view because we had to walk down an embankment and then we got away, uh, but we still were paralleling the creek. And as we were walking, we heard a tree or a tree limb being broke it was just a big old crack like and in 2001 i was 22 years old at this time um and i was like whoa it stopped us down in our tracks it was so loud and we were just like whoa and so we just looked at each other totally unprepared for this you know we're, uh, our very first expedition we thought we were prepared but <laughs> yeah the wrong <laughs> So wet behind the ears, guys. I'll be the first to tell you that. So wet. Um, And, you know, stopped us dead on our tracks. And then we start hearing bipedal footprints coming towards us. I 
I mean, big, heavy footfalls. This thing is stepping on twigs. You could hear the foliage of the dried leaves getting stepped on. And this was May. This was May, uh, and it was in during the daytime. So it was afternoon. It was it was some scattered storms. Um, and it was like I said, we had torrential rainfalls a couple nights before, so the substrate was really, really uh, muddy. Um, we start hearing these bipedal footprints coming towards us, and we're like, oh, my gosh, this is happening. This is all surreal. I almost had an out-of-body experience. It was just really, really cool. Um, we start freaking out, and this thing is getting closer, and we start running back towards the car. Yeah. <laughs> so wet behind the ears. Uh, we're out there, you know, to hopefully get something, and we hear this, and boom, hightail it back, right? At any rate, so I had a Polaroid camera around my neck. And I stop, and I'm like, hey, while I'm running, I'm like, hey, this could be it. Just turn around, you know, open the camera. So I did so. I stopped, and I turned around, opened the Polaroid camera, focusing on where this thing should be coming out by the sound of the footprints and the direction and what I'm hearing. And as soon as I did that, the co-founder of my team, guy I've known for, well, since my school days, says, hey, what are you doing? The thing's right behind you. Get going. I look up at him. And his eyes are as wide as saucers. His face is like it's seeing a monster. And I'm looking back, so I'm still hearing this thing. I'm wondering if it's coming closer to me. Of course, it's coming closer to me because the, foot, the footsteps are getting louder and things are just getting heavier. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I still can't see it. And I see him, and so I start taking back off, catch up with the other guy. Now, in running back towards the car, uh, the substrate I mentioned was so muddy that with every step it started accumulating to the bottom of my hiking boot. And it was just... And, and I had a belt on, but I had batteries in my pockets, and so my pants were kind of getting weighed down. So I'm running in this, it's like a cartoon. I'm running in thick mud here, trying to hightail it, bringing it high knees and everything. Uh, and we're holding my pants up <laughs> with a Polaroid camera frobbling around my neck, running, and um, get back to the car, thank the Lord. Get back to the car, and... He has the car started. By he, I mean the co-founder of my team. He has the car started by the time we get there, meaning he took the eyes off his eyes off the creature. So we get back in the car. I'm giving him 20 questions. Everybody's blood's rushing. Adrenaline's flowing. We're like, what's going on? What was it? What was it? And he's like, yeah, dude, it was a creature. It was a Bigfoot. You know, I'm giving him 20 questions. Okay, well, okay, what did it look like? Where was it? This, that, and the other thing. Um Pretty much everything that came down to what he could say, because he was in shock, and we all were in shock at the time, is that, it was reddish brown in color, seven to seven and a half feet tall, and it was kind of like going from tree to tree, getting right up on you guys real fast. And I'm like, where is it? And then it got like dead quiet. You could hear crickets or a pin drop. We're like, oh gosh. We start looking around. We couldn't see nothing. You know, we get freaked out. Okay, the coast is clear, and we get the heck out of there in the car. Um, Again, I mentioned the substrate because you guys, Shane and Gunner, if we would have went back, we would have had some primo casting tracks uh. that we we could have pulled up. And looking back in hindsight, yeah, I mean, you learn from your mistakes in life, apparently. And yeah, so I mean, first expedition, we thought we were we were experienced. We were the big brave guys <laughs> going out go look for Bigfoot, and this happens, and we turn into uh, Chicken Little, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> and we got the heck out of there, but um, that that's where it all kind of took off place. And and you know I've been going to Ohio ever since 2009. 
uh, for Don Keating's tries when he was holding the uh, tri-state Bigfoot meetings out there. I think he did that about once every other month. Ohio Bigfoot conferences, uh, creature weekends, and stuff like that. And it, it's just been really fun out there in Ohio. Uh, so coming back here to Minnesota, you know, we were, we were like, oh, man, let's go check out some of our local areas and see what we find. Sure enough, we we did. And we were getting activity, and we were excuse me, wood knocking, and so then rocks are being thrown. We're hearing things walking towards us that are on two legs and in a couple of different research areas. And so, yeah, and then it just grows and then it expands. And, and you know, we're, we're communicating, we're networking with other people, um, and, and things are just really kind of taking off and everything is good to go and everybody's happy. So that's kind of how it all unfolded right then and there. And that really, I guess you could say, started the wildfire uh, of this, um, um, you know, passion that turned into an obsession of mine. And that's, yeah, that's that's how it all kind of blasted off. Yeah. Wow. Uh, what a what a way to kick it off. I mean, uh, to have that sort of uh, activity uh, with, with others, uh, not on a solo trip, but wow, what, what a way to kick it off. Uh, what a freaking encounter. I mean, uh, uh, yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it just it, it kind of um, it blows your mind, but it, it it's neat when it happens like that because, I mean, even though you didn't have a sighting then, right? Uh, you still um, it kind of confirms things and, and it gets you excited because now you're like, okay, I'm onto something, and these things do exist. Um, right. You know, <laughs> I, it, yeah. <laughs> like the M and M's commercial with with Santa Claus and the M and M guys. Oh, yeah. I love that commercial, but you know what? You're totally right. You know, I have I did not see the creature. I was too busy running, and but check this out. Like I said, we've been networking with people, and Mark Deworth, he holds Ohio Bigfoot Conference, and you know, he he's a brother in research. I love the guy. Uh, he is the master of all orcs. Um, so. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he will be glad to hear that. Yes. <laughs> but so I, you know, I I've, I've talked with him and, and throughout the years. He's researched that exact same area, and from talking with him and networking with him, is that he's talked to the locals that live there, the people, the residents, and from what they've told him that he's related to me, is that there's at least two of them. There's a big black male, and a smaller female that's around seven and seven and a half feet tall, and reddish brown in color. Oh. Back in hindsight, gentlemen, I think we got a bluff charge. There was got scared out of the area because we could have possibly been getting too close to a smaller one and she did her duty in protecting them or it mm-hmm. or them yeah so right. that's really cool to hear uh in the exact same area that we were i was bluff charged or chased out of the area but yeah it was it was awesome to hear that i was like whoa cool so it could have been a female and i asked the co-founder mm-hmm. of my team you know, uh, about the sex and he he really doesn't recall so yeah yeah <laughs> not necessarily something you'll key in on uh, when you're having uh, that sort of uh, encounter. <laughs> right, right. I don't want to be the next Albert Osterman, so uh, <laughs> get the heck out of it. <laughs> yeah, right. You also, also don't want to be featured in one of David Pilates' books. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Missing exclusive one. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Minnesota. Yeah. But that's... Uh, but that's um, it's interesting that because we, we all go in thinking, you know, you never know what you're going to do when when you have that 
big encounter. You, you know, we think we're prepared, but but the awesomeness of of uh, the physicality of what we're looking for. You know, I watched uh, Tarzan last night, the new version, and and the gorillas that they portray in there. You think those, those things would be dwarfed by a a squatch, and it's, yeah. it's just nuts because um, went to a, a presentation a couple years ago in a out in the Dalles, and uh, I know that Cliff Berkman was speaking at it, and they had this this model of uh, of a skeleton of and it, it was more human-like, I think, than a Bigfoot would be, but it was about 10 feet tall, and my head came up to its crotch. And I'm thinking, yeah, that's, yeah. So you think about, I mean, you know, even when, like you said, you were fascinated by the gorillas at the zoo, and and you think about the how much larger we're talking about these these creatures being than than the the animals that we're aware of. So. Pretty yeah. Uh, your res- your response to that encounter is, I mean, is is pretty typical of, you know, more typical I think than people just standing their ground and and hanging out and taking pictures. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Definitely. With size I mean, and strength, you know, with size Shane and strength, was not scared of you. Back your head. Yeah. yeah. And you, I mean, you're you were immersed in in Bigfoot research at the time that you had your encounter, Shane, and it. It was intimidating to you. Oh, extremely. <laughs> yeah, I felt so. like you. I mean, you just, you know, yeah. and your friend, his buddies, his research buddies. Uh, yeah, it's like, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, get that fight or flight, uh, you know, and um, I mean, uh, yeah, and Abe, you know, I mean, obviously, uh, was like, I'm going to get a picture, you know, and this is my chance. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but still, but still, but still managed to go, okay, uh, get out of here. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What are you doing? Yeah, your friends are yelling at you. The, the, what are you doing? Yeah. So pretty bold to stop. I mean, when you're when you think about it, but um, you know Thank that you. that was probably probably the uh, better alternative was to uh, move move and uh, reevaluate. Yeah, definitely, no doubt. But you know, guys, now, I mean, yeah, I'll say this now, but <laughs> and I've said this before. Uh, you know, and you always think you're, you're going to be prepared, but now I don't know if if given the same circumstances, and um, if it, if it, and it depends if there was just one bluff charging me or multiple bluff charging me. Heck, I I don't know. I I I don't know. I say I wouldn't run, but you just don't know until it happens. Um, I just hope the camera's working, and if anything happens, I can record it. And uh, <laughs> like Grizzly Man, talking about? he's dead. Yeah. Well, re- recording his death or something. I don't know. And that so, the thing is, you, you're talking about having a Polaroid, you know, where you have to pause. And the fortunately, the technology now is is advanced. We have GoPros. I just got a really uh, cool new GoPro for my birthday a couple of weeks ago, and and I'll be going out to use it in the the field here shortly. But I mean, we have that kind of technology now where we can actually do things hand free. Yep. You're talking about you know um, that that encounter being that that was pre GoPro. You know, that's stop yeah. and point and and focus and shoot. So yeah. Um, <laughs> 
And you know what? It was it wasn't even nothing like that. It was one of those instant Polaroid cameras where you take the picture Polaroid. and the, the film would slide right out and you'd have to grab it and then you could take <laughs> off. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a true Polaroid in the pop. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's uh, awesome. So tell us a little bit. So what? How did that event change your life? I mean, you. You were interested before, but I mean that got that's got a um, yeah. No, I mean up. it's like I said, it, and it was a great wake up call. It was like a, a definite confirmation for me. Hearing that, it was like, oh my gosh, by that tree. I mean, we we never found the tree, and right, I have gone back to that same area, and it's changed so much because it has flooded. Uh, I guess you could say kind of like how Bluff Creek has changed since. Uh, 1967 because of the flooding and stuff like that and the erosion of the land. This, too, has happened in the same same area. It's just changed so much throughout the years. Um, but, yeah, you know, it has definitely, it was definitely a confirmation, like, oh, my gosh, there's just three of us. The guy who told us to go here is still back at uh, at the general store. We were definitely in our vehicles before anybody had from the general store had to get back or had the opportunity to come down here and scare us. Um, so it was really a confirmation. What really put the icing on the cake is the co-founder of my team having a higher point of view, actually having his first sighting, uh, his own, well, as far as I know, it's his only sighting, uh, and was able to see the creature in its natural habitat and it going like hiding, running from tree to another tree to another tree ganging up on us, getting right on us, where, as we were, boots on the ground, same level that the creature was standing on. And in the amidst the foliage where we couldn't see because it was really thick, uh, all we could hear was the movement and, and its footfalls and the stuff it was stepping on. Um, but, yeah, it was just a, a confirmation right there. And then, you know, I think it was 2000, uh, my baby brother, he had a, a sighting. Uh, while riding an ATV, um, and then another team member comes to find out now he's had a sighting, and then now we got another guy who's had a sighting, and um, a team member of ours is, uh, claims that he was touched by one. So it was, it's 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 all very very fun, very cool. And when you find these people, and they have that passion that you have inside, and that's burning at them, and they want answers, and you want answers, you create a bond. Just like with a lot of us here in the Bigfoot, like you, Gunner and Shane, you guys all have that passion burning inside of you where you want to know more and you want to know more and you want to find out and you want to help. You want to do this for this reason, that reason, no kill, protect, whatever. I mean, we still all have that. and That's something we all share as a community, and if we can focus a lot of our attention on that passion that we all share. I think we'd have uh, start getting more answers to the questions out there instead of fumbling around with politics in, in this uh, in this research area community. Yeah, it's no fun. We gotta we gotta we gotta take on people, you know, we gotta tear people apart. Uh, that's what big is all about, right? Oh man. Jeez. <laughs> Jeez. There's some of that, but yeah. 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 Yeah, there's some of those folks out there, but that's what I yeah, like absolutely. like the uh, block block function on Facebook. <laughs> right, right. No, but it, it's uh, it's encouraging to hear that. You're and you're absolutely right. I agree with you one hundred percent. You know, it's uh, we all have this passion, uh, and for some of us, it's it's more than just a passion. It's a bit of an obsession. You know, it's 
kind of takes over your life in a lot of ways. And, and, and for me, it's a good thing. And for, I'm sure you, it's a good thing. Um, and, uh, we're, we're wholeheartedly in this, um, for the right reasons and, uh, and, uh, making connections and, and collaborating with people and working with people. I mean, how, how did, uh, how did, how did you assemble the NBRT? I mean, who's working with you now? Um, you know, and uh, how did you get these guys together, right? Your group? Well, you know, I, I have three younger brothers, or not three, but two younger brothers. Um, and, you know, oh, they they look up to me in, I guess, some weird way, shape, or form. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, they, we, we, we share a lot of the same fascinations because we're a really close family. Um, and, you know, so my mom, she had uh, at one point 30 acres of land, and that was up on near this area where my baby brother, who um, had his sighting while out on an ATV trail. This was, I want to say, probably around the time frame of 2002, 2003. Um, and so that was how he kind of got into it and started going out in the woods, and he, you know, he's been growing up now. He's uh, actually serving for our Navy. He's, a, he's in the he's uh, in the Navy now, uh, and going to be going to San Diego. So uh, I might be going out there hopefully with a one way ticket sometime. Um, <laughs> um, and, and you know my my little brother, the middle ki- the middle uh, sibling here. He, we were only fourteen months apart, and he and I we've grown up strong together. He's like uh, he's a best friend more than just a sibling. He's somebody I can really confide in, uh, and he loves the same things that I love, which is the outdoors and animals and gorillas and stuff like that. And so he got interested in it as well, kind of uh, with a segue as I do with gorillas too. And he's been on expeditions and he's heard things. He's heard the wood knocking. Um, yeah, so, and then, uh, with the other team members, I'm seeing, uh, we got, let me see, there's, there's three, I think we got about eight teams, there's eight, eight of us here in Minnesota and two in West Virginia. Um, yeah, so, uh, and, let me see, I have not seen a Bigfoot yet, my little brother has not seen a Bigfoot yet, uh, he's seen when he's seen when he was touched by one. He's seen when he had an encounter. So, uh, our, our 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 my team the team members have all either seen one or have had really close encounter experiences where they can only explain it as being a Bigfoot with um, things that have happened as far as vocalizations or uh, classic Bigfoot uh, behavior as far as wood knocks, chirps, or vocalizations or the bipedal footprints. Um, even uh, I think there was a smell associated with one of the team members as well. And the two in West Virginia have definitely uh, had uh, sightings where a Bigfoot uh, was trying to hide for them as they were driving by, and it was actually hugging a tree trying to camouflage itself. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, and they do yeah, uh, a lot of research. I've heard of that a couple city. times too. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, I mean they'll use whatever they can to blend into the natural environment and surroundings. Um, they really don't want no part of us. And you know, if we get too close to them, they'll well. In my in my experience, they'll they'll chase us off. Or 
Uh, they'll try to deter us with sticks and rocks and stuff like that in the hopes that we don't get any closer. Or if push down comes to shove, they will definitely push, and we will be shoved with a bluff charge. So um, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's very cool. And now, I mean, you know, it, it's the radio show and then we have uh, the Facebook mm-hmm. public page and the radio show public page, and um, it, it's just been, it's, it's growing. It's growing. The interest is growing, and I think a lot of it has to do uh, because of the TV shows that are out there, um, which is gaining interest, which is great because, you know, we need a lot more people to help in this field of researchers. But we need a lot more of the right people to help in this field of research. Uh, I'm glad you qualified. I'm glad you qualified the right people, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, there really is. I mean, yeah, it's cool that it's bringing interest. And mm-hmm. and, I, and I've seen this for myself. I'm sure you guys may have it as well. Yeah, sure, those shows are bringing great interest to this this field of research. But we're also bringing people who are saying, uh, ha- having uh, misidentification, saying it was a Bigfoot, or people that are out there saying, oh, I heard this, and when it could be attributed to another animal. Uh, I think self-discipline in this field of research goes a long, long ways. And also as the researchers, I hate to say it, but we kind of got to weed through all of that via through reports or talking with a a so-called witness and things like that to get down to the bottom of this and say, yeah, you know, you've had a sighting or, you know, I think you may have had something else happen and this was not big related. And it's hard to do so because everybody wants to say, yeah, I've seen a Bigfoot, I've seen a Bigfoot, but when they call say, Gunner out there or, or, or Shane out there or, or me out there, uh, and we had to say, you know what, I'm sorry, but it, things are just not adding up. We kind of had to be like the Renee Hollands out there and, and use you know, the self-discipline and this process of, of elimination from what we know from our own research and the databases and of the research that we have come from reading other reports where there has been class A's and stuff like that as far as, different, uh, I guess you could say, things that have happened that are attributed to common Bigfoot behavior, the rock throwing, the chirping, this, that, the wood knocking, uh, and the encounters that don't have that, I mean, it's hard to say, but, you know, I'm not going to say, I've always been a witness advocate, um, I'm not going to tell somebody they haven't seen that, I'm just going to say, hey, I don't think that's, you know, what was the scenario, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to argue with them in any way, shape, or form, I still want them to build the interest. I still want them to, you know, have an interest in this amazing field of research, which is a great field of research with a lot of great people. Um, but I, I really do think a healthy dose of self-discipline needs to come in, uh, come into play. Well, I agree with that. Yeah. I, I think that the the um, the interest, the, the increased interest based, a lot of it does has come through, you know, like finding things for people. Um, some people love it or, or or take it for what it is. It's a TV show, you know, mm-hmm. but it has raised the level of interest, and I do refer to it as this generation's, you know, like in search of. It's raised the awareness of the, the subject, and and I think the, the increased awareness of, of the public, um, one, has allowed people, witnesses to come forward that may not have come forward before, but it also has, has placed... Uh, an increased need for people that refer to themselves as researchers to be more uh, diligent in their their uh, research 
that we we have to be aware that there are out people out there that have watched the TV show and that are knocking on trees, you know, and then are and are are doing calls out in the woods that weren't there before. So, um, and um, to to borrow from our friend Shelley Covington Montana, who says uses the phrase Bigfoot last, and that's really kind of how you know. Uh, the approach needs to be is it uh, the it is on the researchers to eliminate all, all other known possibility before so oh this is Bigfoot or that is Bigfoot so yeah you know I, and Shelly she's a great woman um, <laughs> I've met her a, a couple of different times and you know it, it's true it's true I totally agree with everything you just said. So Abe, uh, so it, you, you're uh, oh, go ahead, Gunner. It's your turn, Shane. I'm off my soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Thank you, thank you. Uh, no, I was just I wanted to get, get back to. Uh, I'm curious, you know, you you have this uh, encounter. Backtrack a little bit. This encounter in Ohio. Uh, you're in Minnesota researching. What are? It seems to me that most of the reports in Minnesota. Um, seem to be more north than south. Uh, uh, is that? I mean, is that kind of what you have found personally? Uh, yep. Again, more reports north. Uh, yeah. Yep. I mean, there's there's reports here in Minnesota ranging. There they, they do have the southern reports. Don't get me wrong, but it seems like right. the majority of the reports here in Minnesota are within 30 miles north of the Twin Cities and onward. Mm-hmm. So, like areas like I mean. Uh, Doing a little of my own research on Minnesota, like I guess some of the top counties are like St. Louis, uh, Itasca, if I pronounce that right. St. Louis County, County. Itasca County, and I know exactly where you got your information from. (laughs) Yeah, you probably do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. but is that Uh, on that website? And and, and that's true. That that holds true. Uh, St. Louis County, Itasca County, (laughs) um, are are the are the higher counties here in Minnesota. Or the colonies, I should say, that have had higher reports. Yep, definitely. What, what, why, why is it? Why is that, though? In your opinion, uh, you say the northern areas are getting more. I don't know Minnesota that well, I'll be honest with you. But why is the northern area of Minnesota get get more reports than the southern area of Minnesota? Is it population? Uh, is it uh, resources? What's going on? Uh, to be honest with you, more people are moving up north to get away from the Twin City area. A lot of people from the Twin Cities move up north. I'm originally from St. Paul. We moved up north. Um, mm-hmm. Everybody was nice to have have a nice northern lakeside front home and everything like that. So to be honest with you, I think we're going to be seeing even more sightings up in northern Minnesota uh, because of of human encroachment. Um, mm-hmm. And even till this day, I mean, a lot of it, uh, even from the farming, or not the farming, but the logging industries, uh, people who there are more people now going up to northern Minnesota for recreation. We got the wildlife boundary canoe area, the WBCA up there, up in Ely, Minnesota. There's just so many people now, um, nowadays, just going out and enjoying nature for what it is and what they're doing. So they're having these freak encounters where they have a sighting or there's one crossing the road at night or they're having something happen to them uh, where they do 
where it piques their interest, like what the heck could it be? They start doing research, and they relieve, they they read and they research these Bigfoot characteristics and uh, behaviors and what they do, and which is kind of funny as a, in itself because a lot of the Bigfoot characteristics and what they do uh, are some of the same characteristics as far as great apes have. So uh, it, it it's really fascinating to people. To find out, oh, well, hey, there's similarities. Is there a great ape out roaming around here in North America? My question, my answer, yeah, there is. Um, <laughs> it has fingerprints. Yeah. It has, you know, uh, it's primate, no doubt, no doubt in my mind. Um, you know, and so, I, yeah, to answer your question, we got a lot of the resources, a lot of wildlife still here up in northern Minnesota. Land of 10,000 lakes is what's the right. on our life. But there's well over 10,000 lakes here in Minnesota. Um, I think there's actually over 4 million miles of, of shoreline here in Minnesota. Um, and that's a lot of lot of water to that to, to surround something like that. We got Lake Superior. There's great big lakes. I mean, Minnesota. We, I mean, we really 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 do got a, quite the habitat, hospitable habitat uh, for a Sasquatch to thrive in. We got ungulates. There's there's the, the fauna. There's the flora. Uh, there's the woods, national forests. There's the state parks. There's the prairies. I mean, uh, a lot of tributaries of streams and, and networks of of running water and freshwater, bogs, swamp, um, pines, con- uh, coniferous trees, evergreens. All of that. I mean, it's just really quite the habitat, such as the Pacific Northwest. I mean, you guys are, are just probably right over there, longitudinally and latitudinally, uh, uh, from right yeah. across from. So you guys share the same type of habitat, basically, as well. But you know, it's so it, it, it's great. I mean, so we kind of are on the same key on the same board when it comes to having that type of specific specific habitat for them. Yeah, you know, hopefully the. Uh the uh, human population in Minnesota with the encroachment moving north doesn't push the Sasquatch uh, into Canada. You know, it won't be because of election results. Uh, hopefully, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> well, but I uh, hope, uh, but, yeah. But, but there's also, yeah, go ahead. No, but a boom, I said. That oh, but a boom, but well, thank you. Sorry. And I was sitting on that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but, Minnesota also had, I mean, it's got, like you said, 10,000 lakes. I was reading that it has more shoreline than I think it was like California, Oregon, Washington. I mean, quite a few states combined. That's crazy amazing to me, uh, something I didn't know. Uh, you guys also have uh, the largest uh, timber wolf population outside Alaska. Uh, yes. That's, that's pretty amazing to me, too. Yeah, and you know what? The wolves are just as scared of as, as of us as as we are you know if if not even more the only mm-hmm. time a wolf will you know pretty much attack a human being uh is out of hunger or if it's got rabies um but otherwise you know it they they'll just go the other way and pretty much keep to themselves like a bear would i mean especially a mm-hmm. black bear we got black bear here in Minnesota, and black bear are really skittish, but yeah. when push comes to shove when a sow has her cubs. Uh, you always want to be on guard around the springtime um, when when things are starting to unthaw here from Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Yeah, have you come across any uh, any black bears uh, nope. in, in timber wolves? I mean, is that pretty nope, frequent for you? I have not came or? across 
bears or wolves. I've seen the prints in our research area, but I personally have not. One of my team members has, ex-team members have, came across uh, a black bear while he was on one of our research areas. See, that, isn't that amazing to you, thinking about that, that you got, uh, you know, I think in Oregon, I mean, they got 30,000-plus black bears uh, roaming around, and uh, I've come right. across black bears, but uh, um, not very frequently. Uh, but here you are in the in bear prime, timber wolf prime areas, and you haven't yeah. seen one. You, you found evidence, but yeah. crack, yeah. Uh, but yep. you still haven't seen one. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, when you put numbers up like that with the timber wolves and the bears, uh, and, and you know, like you said, there's who knows how many hundreds or thousands of bears or wolves we have here in Minnesota. I sure don't off the top of my head, but I, I do believe that I think we have at least, you know, con- conversing with Doug Highcheck, uh, you know, from Monster Quest, uh, and from the, some of the reports that he's taken and some of the, and just in discussion with him, you know, I think. Between him and I, we came to say we feel safe in saying that there could possibly be at least the a number of a thousand Bigfoot or Sasquatch here in Minnesota. And when you look at that in itself, um, uh, and being nomadic, a thousand is not a big number at all by any rate, um, especially in, in in a state of Minnesota where you could easily get lost or you have that much wilderness still. And they're all roaming around. A lot of people say, "Oh, a thousand—that's a high number," you know. But in reality, <laughs> it's pretty a small number when you when you talk about it uh, and really think about the vastness of what that state has as far as wilderness too. No, well said. I mean, uh, Minnesota, from what I read, is the twelfth largest state. It's a big state. It's got a lot of forests. And when you even you know Oregon, Washington the areas, I know well the uh, you know uh, the amount of uh, animals and stuff. I mean, really. When you put numbers out there, they're really a needle in a haystack. I mean, really. Yeah. And then when you when you try to think of you, you throw Sasquatch or Bigfoot into that, it's even smaller number, I would imagine. I mean, I think it's we're pretty safe to say we don't have Sasquatch numbers like we do black bear or some of the other right. uh, known fauna and animals. So, um, yeah, I mean, you imagine state as big as Minnesota with as many lakes and rivers and mount, you know, in in forest areas, uh, it's. It's near impossible. I mean, you know, people, one of the arguments, and I'm sure you've ran into this multiple times, and probably more than you care to count, but when people argue about trail cameras, I mean, uh, it's really a needle in the haystack, right? It really is. And, you know, especially when you're, say, uh, in bear season, where you're setting out food and stuff like that to, you know, attract them to the area, there's hopes that they'll stick around. Um <laughs> It, it is a needle in a haystack, and with numbers, I mean, these numbers fluctuate because they can come and go as they want. There's no, I mean, there's a lot of bear that are collared and tracked here along with wolves here in Minnesota, and that's how we start getting those numbers. But when we're talking about something that's faster and stronger and, and really knows how to use the environment to camouflage itself and hide, uh, there's really, the numbers are fluctuative, and you can't really say for sure yes or no, but like I said, around a thousand, a thousand, or around a thousand, couple hundred less, couple hundred more. Mm-hmm. I, that's where I feel safe and in, in saying that, yeah, you know, and just it's just it, it is, it, it is. I mean, it is what it is. Um, is there any scientific proof? I mean, if you want to go back and look at the reports and at, at the state of Minnesota from the BFRO and other websites like that, go ahead and take a look. I mean, there's going to be uh, there's going to be some 
And then we've got the people that don't even fill out reports. They just want to come and talk yeah. to you and you about them and stuff like that. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You guys yeah, feel me? <laughs> so there, yeah, I mean, it's a fraction. It's actually a fraction of the reports that I actually get officially Published. reported to a website. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, I, for, I've, I've had, and I'm sure that all three of us, and pretty much anybody that is into Bigfoot research and people are aware of it are approached by people because it's, it's witnesses, you know, need an outlet. They don't, they don't know um, where to go with this information. A lot of times I've had people that had encounters 30 years ago and, and I was the first person that they, that they were felt comfortable sharing it with, you know? So it's like, that's that's a lot to carry around for that period of time. So most people, there there isn't a Bigfoot hotline, so to speak. Um, right. To, you know, go here if you if you've encountered experienced a Bigfoot sighting, because there's yep. there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of emotion to that. You know, you just witness something that that uh, uh, to most people is is. Uh, either tabloid TV or it's a legend. You know, they saw it on, on some shows on TV uh, sometime. And, oh, yeah, that's cool, but it's a whole different mm-hmm. thing when it walks walks into your reality. So You know, and I totally agree with that. And I think Dr. Uh, Matthew Johnson says the best is that, you know, his, his world was turned upside down with something of myth and lore steps into the pages of reality. Yeah, it's it's something that Uh, definitely give you a paradigm shift, and you know, and you're right. People do struggle with it for a long time, and they 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 do hold it in for a long time because how do you how do you explain it to somebody? How do you explain it to people outside of the Bigfoot community? How do you explain it to somebody who else who does think it's fake and you know has not you know just done the research and dug into it? How do you explain it or something like that without being called a name or asked if you you were drinking or were you high or were you sober when you when this happened? You know, mm-hmm. how do you, it's hard for somebody to explain. It. And you're right. I mean, they need outlets, and that's where I think a lot of us groups come into play. Is where hey, you know what? We're here. We've been doing this quite some time. We've had experiences ourselves. You're not alone. You're not crazy. Let's talk. Let's let's have a sit down. Let's have some some pie and coffee and, you know, let's go over what you've seen. Let's break it down. Well, and I like your really? approach because it, in, it includes pie, so that's the important part. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta have pie, man. <laughs> oh, man. So, Shane, were you going to ask a question? Yeah, well, uh, I was curious with Minnesota, with, with Abe's experience and his research over the years and his contacts and collaboration, th- your thoughts, Abe, on, on Minnesota specifically, do you think, um, and you can think, you know, out, outside the box, I mean, other states, do you think Sasquatch tends to uh, to travel? I mean, are, do, do they hunker down? Are they, you know, what what are they doing? You know, uh, I, I do, you, do you think Minnesota is uh, – a spot where they just tend to be in the same location all the time, or do they travel great distances, maybe out of state, to, you know, vacation? Oh man, I see them ice fishing vacation. all the time. 
They're ice fishing, drinking Sasquatch coffee. Um, no. <laughs> oh, nice plug. I like that segue. <laughs> oh, you know, in one of our areas, oh, gosh, what was it, mid-January, um, we were in, in, in a swampy uh, area, and we were having no luck. And we were island hopping, hopping, walking across the frozen marsh or swamp, uh, to get to one island, to another island, to another island, and we were working our way back and farther, and it was just like nothing happening at all. So we got to this one spot. We were probably out there for about three or five hours already. We're talking about walking in snow with our snow boots on and just getting exhausted. And um, it was like, oh, okay, well, let's, let's you know try some wood knocks. And sure, sure enough, we did some wood knocks, and about a quarter mile away, it was just like we got a reply. We're like, oh, my gosh. We all looked at each other like, really? <laughs> do, what do we do? Do we go walk another quarter of a mile or do we walk back the miles a mile or miles or, or whatever back to get to where we parked at? And we all are just like, okay, let's start turning around. They're here. We'll make a note of it. It's January. And uh, so, you know, I, I, I think to answer that one, I think some of them, the ones that are strong enough or healthy enough, will travel uh, to where? Um, Florida, probably, <laughs> where it's nice and warm. <laughs> <laughs> but, but um, you know, the older ones, um, where, where they where they can't travel, where they're on, on their last limb, so to speak, um, you know, or the sick ones or, or who knows whatever reason, who might stay behind and find an area that where it is suitable for them, where they can thrive on, where there's probably enough flora and fauna for them to catch and eat, um, you know, easy pickings, easy hunting, maybe even around more houses, residential homes where they can pick off a dog, a cat, or even farmland, pick up a, a pig or, or a small calf or something like that, chickens, rabbits, you know, maybe they're hanging around those areas as well. Um, garden areas, you know, in the summertime, farmland during the summertime, hiding in the corn stalks, uh, eating the eating the bean field, beans off the bean fields and stuff like that. Uh, but we all know one thing is for sure is that you got to have fresh water. And for them to, you know, get through some solid ice here in Minnesota, I mean, we get some pretty thick ice. Um, to get down to that fresh water is going to take a lot of calories to burn, and it also brings in the aspect, well, how much calories do they need to thrive and to get their next meal? And how much, I mean, oh, my gosh, like I said, there's just so many questions on how their metabolism works, how their dietary is, which I think mm-hmm. they're a lot like us. They're omnivorous. Uh, scavengers in some instances, uh, I mean, there, I'm sure we've all heard a, a tale or two of a deer hunter shooting a deer and and followed the blood trail and found where the deer was by the amount of blood. And there's no deer, but he looks up and in the distance he sees something walking on two legs with a deer over his shoulder. And I, I know I've heard that, and that's where I got the, the, the idea to have, hey, let's incorporate that and my logo here, and so that's why we have that uh, deer over their Bigfoot shoulder, and uh, so it, it's just, yeah, I mean, <sighs> if they travel, they can travel, if they can't, they can't, they can find a spot, I think they'll hunker down, 
or if it's just too cold. I know, heck, I wouldn't go out. Now that arises the question of them being subterranean. Do they utilize subterranean caverns where it remains a constant temperature year-round? Um, there's, mm-hmm. Like I said, guys, there's just so many pieces of this puzzle, and we're still at the tip of the iceberg. Absolutely. I, yeah, I'm not a huge fan. You know, while, while there are certain individuals, and I could be wrong, I'm not a huge fan of the word migration, you know, and I've said this before in the show, migration to me could be elevation to elevation, following the food sources, the water sources, like you said, Minnesota, you know, with the, the ice. Uh, we really don't have, you know, some of our higher mountain lakes out here in Oregon and Washington, they do freeze over. You drop down uh, a couple hundred feet, a couple thousand feet, and you got water right there. So migrating from level to level, elk, deer, bear, they all do it. You know, so they don't necessarily need to travel thousands of miles or hundreds of miles. Uh, I think, you know, uh, that that to me would be, uh, you know, there's not really a need for migration if you have all the plentiful resources uh, in in close proximity. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's just not mm-hmm. necessary. No. Mm-hmm. More transitory. Transitory right. versus migratory. I mean, they're moving, they're following the food source. Yep. Definitely. And, Which and, makes and that makes sense. I mean, in in your area, um, Abe, is that the the wet the physical conditions, if they can't, you know, they got to move to go get fresh water. They're, I'm sure they do that. I mean, they're they've got to move to where their resources are. So if for some reason something, you know, the water gets frozen solid a good part of the year, or at least part of the year, then I'm sure they go to an area where it, they don't have to um, expend the calories to just to get water that they may in, in where they don't move as far over here. They may move far, farther over there. So that's that's an interesting point. It really is because you know, like I said, we got a lot uh, and rivers. I guess you could say rivers will probably be the best way for them to gain access to running water because water that's always moving is harder to freeze, but it's really cold. So you know. Um, that's one of the ways that we kind of, you know, like to keep our eyes on on streams that flow in the rivers and rivers that have uh, tributaries flowing off through them as well, because it's moving water. It's not like a lake where it's just still and freezes over. Water has to be moving. Mm, yeah, no, great point. Uh, in rivers, it, Minnesota only has a few of those, so uh, I guess maybe they do migrate. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> Obviously, Minnesota's got a ridiculous amount of water, uh, and uh, water's not an issue unless it's frozen. <laughs> so, uh, exactly, guys. Exactly. Yeah. And then we got the, the springs and stuff like that, natural springs, too. So uh, who knows how warm that water is coming up. But if, if, if it's anything subterranean, I'm sure it does come up a, a, a certain degree of temperature. But once it hits the frozen water, I'm sure it cools down just as fast as well. Yeah. When in Minnesota, you know, how many are you still getting a lot of reports, a lot of recent reports uh, coming Man. into you? Uh, yeah. Uh, this year, gosh, I think we've been contact. Well, when we were when I was up in Reamer uh, this past July, we had quite a pe- quite a number of people coming up to us. And of course, I don't know if you guys have heard this, but Reamer is the new home Bigfoot capital. Oh, <laughs> the home of Bigfoot. <laughs> Oh, I have not heard that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. But, no, um, you know, the funny thing is that while we were doing the shoot for um, Finding Bigfoot this past July, 
and we were uh, in, in Reamer uh, at the town hall meeting. I got to interview a police officer that was barbecuing, and he told me about his Class B encounter. And then another police officer from a different uh, city um, told me, well, he was still suited up in, in uniform, told me we just had to uh, give the, the badge and everything like that, so I wouldn't say what uh, city he was serving for. Um, with duct tape, and he told me about his class B encounter. So there's two. Then through our public page, we probably had about about maybe I want to say right around ten people came out uh, this year, uh, contacted wow. us. Maybe eleven or twelve, um, but wow. I feel safe in saying ten. And yeah, uh, yeah so that's a great we, number. It is a pretty good number, um, you know, and it's a great number for the size of, of guys that we have on the team, too, because it's a manageable number, <laughs> <laughs> um, which is really cool. And, of course, we've gone out and we did some investigating in, in a couple of these uh, areas and reports, and, you know, unfortunately, we didn't turn up anything. But, like I said, I've always been a witness advocate, and from what these people are saying, does because they're saying well something happened and if nothing happens while we're there i'm not going to shoo shoo them or pun pun them or anything like that you know i'm just saying okay well it, you know it did not happen while we were there keep us posted if anything does happen please document it uh accordingly and, and keep, yeah you know keep us in the loop mm-hmm. the um one of the questions came in the chat uh and just because you mentioned the uh, interview with a police officer did he mention that there was a a code word they use. I know I've heard this before um, from law enforcement that they do have certain, you know, agencies around the country and counties do have a special uh, code word uh, that they'll over the their PA whatever will or their mics will you know that refers to Bigfoot. It's just a, a code. Did did the officer mention anything like that? You know, I, that's a great question, and no, I did not even ask uh, if there was any type of coding uh, for over radio or anything like that that would just. Mm. Bigfoot, or, or I know, but no, I no, I didn't ask him, and he didn't uh, uh, reveal anything like that. But the, that was a great question. Yeah, uh, no, great that, question. What about so? What is the? This is a double, two questions here on same thing though. Really, what is the most incredible report you've taken in, and what is probably what's the scariest report you've taken in? Maybe it's the same one, but uh, what are you know? What's the most incredible and most scariest report you've taken in? This guy, he now belongs to, um, well, now he's on our team, I should say. But when he first contacted me about what has happened to him, um, that was pretty incredible, I would say. He's a Native American and lives on the reservation. And uh, he was um, sitting out on his front porch. And it's elevated front porch, and he was just sitting out there. And something comes up and like touches his pants and he looks down and he sees his hand and it grabs his, I think he stated that it grabbed his ankle or held the back of his calf with his big hand just wrapped around him. And he was just like, Oh my gosh, he didn't move. Um, no, right. Yeah. And it's no, totally. But the funny thing is that the same thing happened down to this woman in Iowa that I've been going down there and researching with. She steps out on her deck, goes down a couple of stairs and this hand reaches out and wraps his hand right around her ankle. Um, so that was pretty cool, but back to the, uh, my, my, the team member here now. Um, wow. so he's just like sitting there and he's like, well, what the heck? Uh, the hand lets go of him and it goes off 
or somewhere, and then he's just sitting around on his outside deck, and he sees it uh, like a figure, and he goes up to the figure. He's, I think he, it was, yeah, it was nighttime. He sees the silhouette. He goes up to the silhouette, and he touches, he touches its arm or touches his arm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was pretty cool. Scary too, now that you think about it. If you have, yeah. Uh, just grab your ankle and you know it could just fling you around like the Incredible Hulk, um, <laughs> <laughs> like it did with Loki. Whack. Um, <laughs> so um, the, one of the most scariest <laughs> ones. Jeez. Um, well, you know, it's, for me, I guess that would be my own <laughs> chasing encounter. <laughs> I yeah. loved it. That was scary as heck. <laughs> That was scary. Um, yeah, man. Uh, well, that, since that encounter, I mean, that encounter, you've had other neat things. I mean, I mean, I think you mentioned you've had, yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you know, stuff like that. That's that's pretty neat. I've I have been fortunate, at least I see fortunate to have had a rock thrown at, at well, not directly at me, but at the, the, our campsite. You know, what kind right. of a scenario uh, were you in when you had rock thrown, and been more than one one uh, more than one occurrence one time? It was just, uh, well, here, here's how it all shook down. We were out in one of our research areas. It has a campground, and we decided to go by, walk down this one river. Um, it was on the darker side of dusk, and the water was not all that rushing or flowing really hard. And so it was, by this time, it was dark time. It was dark, but I could, like, hear something and see very with my eyes squinting, something moving, I'm thinking, and it's correlating with what I'm hearing. So I'm like, what the heck's going on over there? Mm. Um, so I throw a couple rocks over on the other side, and nothing happens. But, yeah, I'm still hearing something going on. I'm taking out uh, the Gen 1 uh, night monocle and having a hard time picking it up. And so, like, there's just, I'm still hearing something over there. So... My baby brother, um, the one that's in the Navy, he was with, and he threw a couple rocks over there as well. Prior to us throwing rocks over there, we were up the hill using a tree to wood knock. Um, so it was like we were wood knocking, we went down, I was hearing something, I was seeing something, I threw a couple rocks over, nothing happened. He threw a couple rocks over, uh, and lo and behold, one comes sailing back and landed by the tree we were wood knocking at. And that was pretty cool. I was like, um, go back to this tree, let's talk. But uh, that wasn't the case. We tried doing some more wood knocks. Um, we got no reply or no answer back. And so pretty much that was just that. Um, let me see here. We've heard in, in, the, same, in the same state forest uh, a few miles away, oh, we were uh, out one night and we were walking on this dirt road. Uh, doing some whoops and some knocks, and uh, some dogs were barking that lived nearby. Um, and you know, we thought when we first got out of the vehicle, we thought the dogs were barking at us because uh, they were just you know being dogs and protecting and letting their owners know that hey, there's humans on the area. So we were on this road for about maybe half hour, 45 minutes, walking down. We were on our way back. Um, while we were on this road, we were, like I said, we were doing some whoops and knocks, and we've heard some distant replies. Uh, but, you know, with the dog barking, and we were just like, oh, they're going to give us a location, let's just head back. While, walk, while walking back, 
uh, like, hey, you know what, let's stop. Co-founder of my team was with me, a team member, ex-team member and his wife were with me. And I said, hey, you know what, let's do some knocks before we head back, get closer to the car. So we did. Um, he knocked a couple times, and we waited. And, again, we heard what sounded like two distance or two soft wood knocks. Uh, then he knocked back again, and then that's where we started hearing more bipedal walking coming out of the darkness of the woods towards us on the dirt road. We all just stood there like, oh, my gosh. And me and him were, like, having flashbacks <laughs> to 2001. <laughs> this was this happened in 2009. And um, so we're standing there like, oh, my gosh. And the ex-team member's wife had a spotlight. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so... Yeah, she got freaked out. She's hearing this. We're all hearing this. She turns on a spotlight. What happens next? Nothing. We don't hear it no more. We don't see it. We're combing the area. We're like we're sticking our heads in there, and we're seeing if we see anything. If I would have had the thermal imager that I have now back then, you guys, we would have had yeah. a heat signature. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, it, that was pretty cool. Um, another time we uh, were in one of our areas, um, baby brother, Navy, was with me, with us, uh, and my little brother, uh, and gosh, I think uh, uh, another person or two, we were doing call blasting. And we were doing the Sierra Sounds call blasting with Ron Moorhead and Alan Berry. And we were playing some vocalizations, and so I, I forget which track that we played, but we played this certain one. And then after that, again, we started, and this was during... The, the day, probably midday, uh, late afternoon, uh, early afternoon, uh, bipedal footprints walking towards us. And this uh, was really cold out. Snow hasn't landed yet, or else it was more towards the springtime. Um, nope, it was fall time, because I remember uh, mm -hmm. there was still some leaves on the trees. So, and probably before fall, because it was still kind of green, too. And so we're hearing this, these bipedal wood knocks, but not wood knocks, but footprints. But they were coming towards us, but they never would break the wood line, or they'd stick, stay right back into the thick area. Uh, and we, you know, it's, so it's just really cool how they'll stay in one area, but if you go and check, they they'll be gone, or else I don't know, I don't know, what, I don't know what happens. It's, it's just like they'll come walk towards us, and you know, we don't want to pressure them, so we'll stay our ground. If they want to come towards us, they can, but we don't want to seem, you know like a threat or anything like that. We just want to be peaceful, make ourselves look like we're peaceful and approachable, and let them be the ones to uh, pursue the closeness and, and close the gap if they want to. We don't want to be the ones that will go walking off towards them and scare them off and you know, perceive ourselves to be threatening to them. We want them mm -hmm. to you know, be relaxed with us, know our presence, know that we're not here to hurt them in any way, shape, or form. Uh, but hey, show yourself, you son of a gun! I want to see you. I want to see you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, Derek, Derek Randall's. Uh, you know, he said. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, brother Derek. Yes. Said, yeah, Derek Randall said one time. You know, and I remember this. He said, you know, and it's true. Uh, at least I see it as true uh, that they just, you know, Sasquatch just seem to know how far to stay away. I mean, just the right distance. That you can't see them, but you know they're there. Right. You hear them. But just the right distance, you know. And I've, I've. I I think I found that to be true. Um, yeah. It's just it's just you know their ability to uh, investigate you, check you out, you know, and, and uh, but still stay their distance where they feel safe, I guess, and 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 unseen. Yeah. Yep. I I had to 
vouch for that. Yeah, totally, totally. And yeah. It does seem that way, and it seems like that way, we you know, in 2001 when we were getting chased. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't want to say what would have, what could I, I mean, there's so many things that we could speculate on what would have happened if I would have stayed still and not ran back and caught up with the other guy in 2001. Would it have stayed his distance? Would it have broke through the tree line? Would I even mm-hmm. be here right now? Um, right. so, so, you know, with that, yeah, it's, it's always best to give them that respect. Um, mm-hmm. Back off, you know, and who knows? It, it could, in the long run, it could benefit in hopefully having another encounter or, or letting them get a little closer as they feel a little bit more comfortable with you. And especially if they're um, in an area that you've been having long-term, I guess you say activity, or been doing long-term research where they are pretty familiar with you. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's always best just to give them that respect and hopes for the best that something really cool down the road will happen. Yeah. Audio speaking, you know, with audio, have you um, – have you? Uh you have anything that you've heard in person you, you kind of assume or, or you, you know, give Sasquatch as a possibility as to making those sounds like whistles or, or grunts, anything like that? Oh, nope. I have not captured any audio, no. Mm-hmm. And you know what, that's, that's, that's funny because the whole audio aspect of this research, uh, it, it, it's a tricky one for me. It's a tricky it one. Because, uh, you, you know, there's... And it can go array in so many different ways, too, that I don't even like to deal with the audio unless we're having, you know, for sure Bigfoot activity or, or something that would say, yeah, give, give me the green light. Okay, you guys break out the audio. We're getting wood knocks. Let's see what happens next. I'm not, you mm-hmm. know, for me to go out and just have an audio recorder running um, and hear a grunt or, or something like that, it's hard to really say, yeah, that was a Bigfoot. Did you hear it? Um, unless I know for sure I'm having Bigfoot activity happening. So, I, gotcha. yeah, I, with the audio recorders, I do got a Zoom. I do got a Sony. I do got, you know, a parabolic ear, a uh, bionic ear that we could split, put a auxiliary cord in with a microphone and stuff like that where we can amplify the sound. But usually I don't, you know, break them out or bust them out until I know for certain that we're having some type of, for sure, what I would constitute for sure as a Bigfoot activity. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, what about, you know, uh, a lot of controversy revolves around uh, Sasquatch and the possible use of stick, you know, with like stick structures. Um, oh. Yeah. I mean, Spelling. It's, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Spelling? Okay. Okay. <laughs> Glyphs. <laughs> you know. oh, interesting. Have you ever um, found your name spelled in the woods with sticks? No, I can't. <laughs> I have, and if I, and if I did, I would assume I had a stalker, and she is bigger mm-hmm. than I am. Um, no, <laughs> <laughs> no, and you know what? I mean, this kind of goes back to the same to uh, big language. In order to spell, you had to have some type of alphabet, and for them, in order to spell, they had to have some type of alphabet or even a language. Um, which has their own meanings and stuff like that. Their alphabet not my, may not or probably is not the same alphabet that we recognize. Uh, so we, you know. What? Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, it, their, al- 
alphabet, <laughs> of course, you know, it's not going to be the same alphabet that we recognize. They may use symbols or characters, uh, like Japanese or, or Chinese, use their Japanese characters and Chinese characters right. in order to communicate with the language. Now, with that being said, is it possible that Sasquatch or Bigfoot, having their own ways of communication and possible language, um, have their own alphabet in which they can do something like that, them being a, a, a primate, and we, you know, I think we give them a little bit less credit than what is due um, for them to be able to do something like that. Is it out of the norm? Is it out of, of the possibility or the plausibility? I think that's something that we have to ask ourselves, seeing that there has been uh, communication uh, recorded and documented by numerous researchers, and of course, you know, as researchers, I think a lot of us uh, have held the Barry Moorhead tapes as the pinnacle of that communication. Uh, so much more that there's even a cryptolinguist involved in breaking down a Sasquatch phonetic alphabet. And of course, I'm talking about R. Scott Nelson. Yeah, and you recently interviewed them, correct? Oh, I had a Blast with those guys. Yeah, <laughs> they're yeah. really cool guys, man. Yeah, yeah. I, I did recently, and it was um, it was fun. I had a great time, and they had a great time. So that made the show even more better, and the listeners were intrigued. So it's, it was a win-win situation all the way around. Yeah, no, but you know, it, it does. It really does raise raise up that I guess you say communication, uh, spelling, and and alphabet kind of a thing is kind of all along the same line so mm-hmm. yeah well I mean that you know a supposed wood knocks or rock clanking uh, could be a form of communication in fact it may not even be that you know a lot of this stuff may be um, you know uh, you know you slap your chest you know you can make a noise imagine a Sasquatch with the size of its hand it's, it's muff slapping its chest it could sound very much like a wood knock or uh, something it could be a, a, a form of communication I mean uh uh, no animal do that. Great apes do it. So, and, and the ma- noises they can make from their, you know, yeah. their hands and their body are, are amazing. It's mind-boggling. Uh, it so, is. Yeah. 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 I, I totally agree with you. We do not know every single sound that every single animal makes. We always have to keep that in the back of our mind. And as being uh, disciplined researchers, there's times where we're going to have to say, hey, it could have been this, but I don't know. And, and I think right. uh, honesty, honesty Honesty has a long way in staying credible in this field of research. If you don't know something, don't try to act like you do. Just say, hey, you know, I don't know. I don't know. So, you know, we do not know every single sound every primate makes. We're not, we don't live with primates. We don't know if there's a sound that they make when they're scared, when they see a mouse or a spider, or how they will react to this, that, or the other thing. Hey, there's sounds that I've heard that humans make that I didn't even think were possible. And then I ended up with three kids. Um, <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> well, as I get older, no, my bones, my body makes some weird noises itself. Uh, bones creaking. Yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I don't know where I don't know where we go with the show with after that. <laughs> well, that's all. We, that's all. That's all we have time for tonight here on Mars Direct right now. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it, it never played what we were just talking about in the woods. Uh, you will probably get 
uh, you'll probably scare all the Sasquatch off. If there's one, <laughs> that's not a call blast. Watch the call blast. But you know the funny thing is on that when I was down in Iowa, and I made great friends down in Iowa. So so great of friends that they are. They're like family members to be honest with you. And I'm, I've been doing research down there since 2009 on this particular property, private property, and. Um, it was actually in 2010 where we were down there, and I recorded sounds of my youngest son uh, crying when he was an infant because he was, gosh, born in 2009. Uh, and so I recorded his sounds crying. And so what I did is I, I took a, a car seat and uh, one of my daughter's dolls, I took some portable speakers and a Sony Discman. I transferred his sounds of him crying, just having a flat-out tantrum. That sounds like a bad parent, but it's all in the name of research. So, <laughs> so I, I put these sounds uh, where a creek runs into the Des Moines River, and you know I had these. Uh, I had the sound, the CD or, or a sound on loop, so it just record, or replay, and replay, and replay after each other. Well. Me and my brother went down to go check on it, and on our way down there, in the middle of a cornfield, there's a path, and then on the other side of the path, we have the timber or the woods, and we are walking back down to the Des Moines River and meets the creek, we heard, woo, followed by one single wood knock, um, which was really cool because it, we were talking about, you know, uh, sounds and stuff. The sound of a baby crying was that. Did we hear that? And it was a distinct woo, woo, woo. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could tell it, it was had to have been made by something with lips, and that can form their lips and have enough air to push the, the air out to make the sound of the W. Woo, mm-hmm. and then Paul would knock. No, it was not a woodpecker would knock. It was not uh, anybody in the woods. This is private land, private property, which has had a long history of uh, Bigfoot happenings on this private property. Uh, so we stopped, and we're like, oh, wow. We were just like adrenaline flowing and, um, you know, checked out the woods to see if we could hear or smell or see anything, and nothing. So whatever it was knew that we were there. And I believe that the woo followed by one wood knock was an alert signal to the others in an area know that hey, the 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 humans are here or they're they're coming for their baby or whatever you know. But um, so we long story short, we go on there to check the the sounds and uh, it has stopped. Um, I, I don't recall if the batteries were drained or if they were still good. But I do remember going down there and be like, oh, crap. No, actually, the batteries were, were good because so, I did restart the sounds again. And that was really, really cool to have that yeah. small interaction happen as well. Wow. You know, a lot of people uh, that I've talked to say, do not do what you just did. Do not play the sound. Derek Randall's, uh, one of the scariest uh, encounters he ever had was playing a recording of his um, his son crying. He recorded and he looked and played it over and over again. In the middle of nowhere, up in Washington, you know, Blue Mountain somewhere, and he was like eight miles by out of nowhere. Himself. And, and he, yeah. By himself. By and he himself. And he had a crazy, yeah. a crazy encounter. I mean, pretty amazing. But I tell you what, the guy had, you know, balls of steel because uh, he, uh, 
what a what an epic night he had. But that's one of those things that, I, that yeah, I've heard from other people. It's like that's the one that you don't want to do. But I, I maybe I should try it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, well, I mean, really. I mean, what do we got to lose? We right. charge our life. Your life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Life and limb. But, uh, that's all. No big deal. Yeah. Just, uh, just record it with a GoPro or an HD. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll. I'll. You know what? Sasquatch seem to avoid trail cameras. I'll just I'll put like five of them around me. And, uh, you know, I was just thinking the same thing. <laughs> Stand in the center yeah, of the cameras. <laughs> <laughs> Funny. So you mentioned earlier, you know, your 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 younger brother had a sighting on an ATV. Uh, was that in Minnesota? And, and what, it was what in exactly? Minnesota. It was in Hinkley, Minnesota. And yeah. the irony behind all of that, I was um, – behind him not like directly behind him but a ways behind him and he was kind of like leading everybody and he had a daylight road crossing of a reddish colored one. Oh wow he didn't tell anybody at that time but when we got back to the house he was like uh, he told me privately I, I seen a big tall hairy something cross the road I was like what what which is funny because earlier I also brought up my mom had 30 acres and it was in the same area, Hinkley, Minnesota, and we found some pretty uh, cool, I guess you could say, formations. And you were also talking about sticks and, and formations like that being attributed to Bigfoot and Sasquatch. Uh, primates do this exact same thing, but as far as spelling names and having my name spelt in the wood, they would, you know, I have not, because they would have to be able to know our alphabet in order to do something like that and the meaning of the sounds behind that mm-hmm. letter, uh, behind that letter as well. Um, so, yeah. no, I, I, it, it was really cool, but I do, it, you know, it, it's funny because I don't know if you guys are finding this, but we're, we are def where we have found, um, in places of our research and where we have had activity, it'd be wood knocks or heard them walking towards us or with chirps and stuff like that. We have had found some pretty interesting, intriguing formations where we've investigated, and the root system of the tree is not there. So that tells us that the tree was deliberately put there and was not grown there. Or sometimes they'll use a tree that has grown and they'll push it down and make uh, some type of arrangement out of that as well. So I do, I do believe that they do use and utilize. Uh, different trees, sticks, and twigs, or uh, whatever they can to make some type of a marker. Uh, uh, as we come to know them as TP formation, arches, bend, bows, pointers, X formations, and so on, stacks and stuff like that. But to, as far as what they mean to them, um, or what I should say, what they mean to us, could totally mean something different to them. And, right. You know, it, it, it's just really hard to interpret uh, interpret something like that coming from a human point of view instead and not being able to know what it exactly means while having one of them right beside us We're like oh yeah that means that so or this clan lives here that's this family's clan and this stick on top of that one is the patriarch or the matriarch of this family and this is how it all branched off down to where we are at now with this clan or family group um <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Shadow. <laughs> oh, that guy. He's a, he's a Green Bay Packers fan. You see him wearing that G all the time. He's a Green Bay Packers fan. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
fine I, guy. I suspect <laughs> that I suspect that you can spell your own name, even with toothpicks. Um, yeah. <laughs> 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 in, That's funny. In, um, yeah, but in in uh, you know these, what are some of the more interesting things you found? Uh, I mean, impression wise, uh, structure wise, uh, in in Minnesota or even Ohio. What are some of the more interesting pieces of possible evidence have you found that you find oh, interesting? Ooh, hold on. Oh, um, yeah, where do you start? <laughs> in Ohio, uh, we did come across uh, an interesting impression of. I believe it was a right foot that was about 18 inches long, eight inches wide across the toes, and about four inches wide across the heel, uh, going down into a valley. Of course, that was uh, not as detailed uh, because of the torrential rains that happened the night before or the day before. Here in Minnesota, we have found, uh, I think it was a left foot impression this time, um, and uh, one of our areas of research where we have been hearing or in a series of nine wood knocks in one area uh, in one direction and other we, it was like we were surrounded by wood knocks in this area, this location, which was really, really cool. Um, okay. But it, it was not on the same day that we found this left uh, impression. Uh, but also in this area we have found uh, formations and stuff like that, which I have taken pictures and documented through that means. Um you know, a lot of very cool formations that we have came across, been fortunate enough to come across and keep an eye open. Um, I, and that's one of the things I kind of look for is is the formations, um, mm-hmm. especially the ones that really kind of stick out. Um, because, I mean, a lot of people will just walk right by them and when there could have been something. Uh, I'm not saying every formation, every down tree, every tree that's pinned down is done by a Bigfoot. Of course, it takes a little bit of investigation to, to come up to that, uh, uh, that 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 fact, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. or dismiss it as well. Uh, a lot of times I find myself dismissing things, saying, oh, this is natural occurrence, instead of saying, hey, it could have been a Bigfoot, which is really, mm-hmm. I mean, which, which I guess with that being said, I, I just had a revelation to say, hey, I do, guys, I guess I kind of do got that, um, you know, very dis- uh, self-disciplined research mentality. I'm not saying everything is a Bigfoot. I find myself dismissing more things than accepting more things out of the possibility that could have been done by a Bigfoot. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, besides the finding the impressions, um, deer kills, yeah, deer yeah. kills are a cool find. Um, you know, broken backs, broken legs, uh, gut piles and stuff like that. More in the winter time, and you know, I mean, that just goes along with the simple fact because we believe them to be more carnivorous in the winter time because there's not all that um, flora to be eaten. I mean, let's face it, the vegetation dies out or it gets really uh, stiff. The only thing we have growing is iceberg lettuce here in Minnesota. So. <laughs> <laughs> That was actually a groaner. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But, yeah, I I think we all can pretty much stand on that page that uh, we see them being more carnivorous in the wintertime just for the simple fact because there ain't a whole lot of 
fruits or, or vegetables or greens to be eaten in the, in, in the winter time. So, uh, and that's usually the time uh, around that time of year is when we do find, if we are lucky enough to come across a deer kill and stuff like that. So that that's been pretty cool. Um, let's see, uh, you know, here I guess you can say as far as communication wise. Um, it, it's wood knocks, man. It really is. Yeah. We seem to hear more wood knocking here in Minnesota than the the bobo call or the cliff call or the whoops or anything like that. Although we have, you know, heard the chirps and whistles, um, even though that was just on one occasion. So um, I would definitely have to go with wood knocking as being uh, one of their more ninja ninjamatic ways of communication. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, definitely, yeah. Hope that okay. answers your question. Yeah, no, perfect. Uh, what about sightings? So, with the sightings, in, in and I'm referring really specifically to color. I know you mentioned a few times this reddish color. Is that pretty common when it comes to these reports in Minnesota? Or is that a rarity? I mean, you guys get a lot of uh, white Sasquatch reports or gray Sasquatch reports. What's the most predominant color of a Sasquatch report in Minnesota? It's going to be dark coloration here in Minnesota. Yeah. We're talking about anything from a black to a, a dark reddish hue. Um, or even, you know, sometimes there might be one that's as red as Chewbacca, uh, which has been, uh, you know, explained in, just in that fashion because it's the only thing that they could, um, you know, uh, attribute it to. Is a, a Chewbacca colored Bigfoot, but usually no. Definitely, I would have to say the predominant color is black. There has been uh, probably, to my my knowledge, uh, just a handful of, of white Bigfoot reportings, and I, I know of one that was relayed to me personally, uh, on, which took place on farmland, um, and uh, so I did have a guy fill out uh, a sighting report form for us, and. Uh, it, yeah, it was walking away from a barn, and it was big, tall, white, hairy thing that he described it as. And it was actually, he relayed this to us in one of our research areas uh, while we were on an outing, and it was, it was at a campground. So it was, it was pretty, <coughs> excuse me, it was pretty cool to have that happen. Um, but yeah, definitely I would have to say black. Yeah, it does seem well, to Abe, be. What? I mean, predominantly, predominantly the the you know the most common color. But you know, of course, you were talking. When was the sighting? Was it at nighttime during the day? Because you know, even a, even something kind of reddish color could look black at night, uh, depending on yep. your lighting and and whatnot. So yeah, it's it's one. It's, not, it's kind of like the audio thing. It's 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 iffy depending on the distance and the the uh, you know what you're actually looking at and everything else. Oh, totally. Yeah. Uh, yep. Totally, man. Go ahead, Gunner. <laughs> so, hey, what? What uh, is the goal of of the MNDRT, the Minnesota Bigfoot Research Team? What is it well, you know, I guess you say our, the goal, or I guess, oh man, what I like to, like for the MNDRT to happen is we want to help protect these things. We were talking about more sightings, uh, human human encroachment. Uh, we're talking about them being nomadic and stuff like that, possibly because of that, or of a food source as well. We just don't know that yet. But, you know, the way the human encroachment is going, um, is, and the last thing I want to see is one get shot just to prove that they're real. We want to get some type of protection established, not here just in Minnesota, but 
help other researchers form some type of a of a committee or a platform where we can get them nationally protected. There are states out there that do recognize them. There are states out there that does have protection in certain counties for them. I'd like to see something like that be gone on a national level. But in order for something to happen like that, it's going to have to be a lot of cooperation and networking between other researchers as far as uh, getting physical evidence, spending more time out in the field, um, dropping the politic BS, and and just sing kumbaya and hug it out, guys, um, and getting out <laughs> in the field for the same for the same purpose as you know discovery. In order for protection to happen, there's going to have to be some type of physical evidence. We're a no-kill team. We're a no-kill organization. We don't want to pull any arms. We don't want to harm them. We want to document them uh, and do it in the the best non-evasive manner that we can, hopefully. (coughs) Sometimes it might have to take uh, evasiveness to do that or intrudingness into their homes or if we see one run after it so we can get that that good HD quality um and take stills off of the off of the video whatever and you know hopefully it's in a in a in a substrate where we can say hey okay here it stepped here it stepped here here's the pose here's the displacement and hopefully the substrate again is good enough where it's leaving dermal ridging and we can cast it and preserve it and then we have video we have evidence we have physical evidence to go coincide with that. And even on top of that, hopefully they can leave some type of hair evidence with root ball follicles, which can be collected uh, and sent in somewhere and say, hey, yeah, I mean, this video, he stepped there, he pulled it from there. Having all documented in HD or more than with more than one camera would hopefully would be enough uh, of a ground, solid, concrete evidence, I guess, um, to create some type of that basis where we can present it to somebody and get some type of legislation going where it could be recognized as a national-wide creature that does and is in existence, and we are, you know, uh, encroaching on its natural habitat. Yeah, sure, there's going to be people pissed off, but um, there's people pissed off right now because pipe oil pipe pipelines want to go through sacred ground in North Dakota. So um, what's what's... There's things that can be worked around this. There, it, the coexists. The coexists, and, and to do this research as, as you know, as one instead of um, having all these politics that are throwing up blinders and the people cutting down other researchers. I mean, we all know who the good, the bad, the ugly are, so to speak, and mm-hmm. uh, who are, are the ones that are out there putting in the blood, sweat, and tears, taking the time from their homes, getting fleas, ticks, spiders, and chiggers, and stuff like that, um, are, are, who are credible, who are down to earth, and very self-disciplined researchers are. And those are the people I want to be out in the field with, and those are the people who I call brothers in this field of research, and who I get along with great, and I support, and I know they support me as well, like you two guys. You guys do a good job, great radio show, and my hat's off to you guys. Well, I appreciate that. I really do, Abe, and uh, I really look up to what you're doing and, and follow you closely. And uh, you've got big things going on, uh, and it's exciting to watch uh, fellow you know, investigators, researchers, enthusiasts uh, that are passionate and honest about the subject 
because uh, it can be kind of sometimes hard to find. Uh, but you know, for you know, for us, we know a lot of people, and, and the people we work with and we know and collaborate with are just awesome. They're fantastic. Yeah, totally. Uh, and, and a lot of, a lot of them are mutual. You know, a lot of them are mutual, and uh, it's just uh, it's it's exciting because we really have so much to learn. We really don't know anything, and it's just it's fun, fun, fun. It's great. Uh, to talk to people like you that uh, are just passionate about it, that uh, have had uh, amazing experiences, but I put the time in, um, the time in, uh, and the hard work and the hours and the money spent and everything else to get where you're at today, which, you know, a lot of ways we're not really anywhere, but we're, I, I think we're getting there. I think we're getting there. You know, I don't think, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm also very patient. I think you're, you're a very patient guy as well. Yeah, I I really am. I really am, and it takes a lot of patience to shift through all of uh, all of the stuff and the BS, and to put up with a lot of the BS that gets dished out to a lot of us uh, as well. You know, it's turning the other cheek, so to speak, and um, you know. So yeah, you're right. Patience is uh, it's something that I think every researcher has, but very, very few do have. Yeah, yeah. It, patience is uh, a virtue, and it's uh, probably the the uh, one thing that research lacks is patience. Uh, people think, oh, I've been at this 50 years, and I'm like, big deal. 50 years? That's really, I don't know. I don't think that's a whole lot of time. In fact, it's been longer than that, but I don't think it's a whole lot of time. I think patience uh, is a virtue, and it's key in this type of research. It's probably, the and, and having patience Keeps you in check. You're not everything's Bigfoot. Uh, you really uh, validate and vet your what you find, see, hear, uh, record everything, uh, and that patience is really the key. And uh, those that I work with uh, are amazing individuals. They're very patient, uh, and uh, like I said, a lot of people that I collaborate and talk to, and I call friends or brothers or sisters, are have this patience. And uh, you definitely are, are one of those guys that I, I could see has a great amount of patience, but also just the passion and uh, You'd be a heck of a guy to go out on the field with. I guarantee that. I can tell. <laughs> oh man, I'm, you see me out in the woods. I, either I'm, 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 I'm very stealthy and very quiet, or else I want to make a lot of noise and attract them. It, yeah. Let's go do it. I'm jumping around. Come on, guys. Come on. Ooh, yeah. Go fly over here. So yeah, yeah. It, <laughs> keep up with me now. <laughs> <laughs> you uh, flying you around. <laughs> You got any speaking engagements coming up? You got any uh, anywhere you're going to be talking? Uh, anything? Uh, you know, you got anything going on down the road here that uh, people should be uh, looking for? I mean, obviously you got your, your radio show, and we definitely want to talk a little bit about your radio show because you've been at this a long time, longer than I have by, by far. And, uh, <laughs> you have a great yeah. show. You know, I'm kind of standing on your shoulders when it comes to this stuff because I've listened to you way back, and uh, you have a great show. And it's it's uh, it's uh, you come back, you took a break, and you come back, and it's. You know, it's uh, it's going strong. You got you already had some fantastic guests, and uh, you know, went out on there. Thank you, thank you so much. Um, yeah, I get, you know, from what word on the street is that a crazy bunch of researchers from Minnesota was asked by Animal Planet to help out with a Bigfoot show. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I guess we're just kind of waiting waiting for the next season of Finding Bigfoot to come out. Um, to see what episode and when that's going to air. I have no idea, but uh, Word on the Street is possibly 2017 next year. So keep your eyes open uh, for that episode. It's, we got activity. We got activity, you guys. It was Woo-hoo, fun. It was wild. That. So, yeah, it was cool. 
other than that, we are um, helping the town of Reamer with their Bigfoot Barbecue Festival. Uh, we got some uh, ideas as far as uh, different things to take place and go on with uh, the town of Reamer, Minnesota. Um, we are going, well, heck, you know, when we can get out in the woods, we got some follow-up reports to follow up on and uh, take some time to do so on that. Oh, man, there's just really a whole lot going on. There's MNBRT Radio going on. You can catch that every Monday. Our next guest uh, tomorrow night is Jim Grant, a.k.a. Bear of Bigfoot Outlaw Radio. Uh, he's a great. Uh, he's been doing this for quite some time. He's a good friend. He's another brother in research. Um, so yeah, it's going to be uh, one heck of a, of a show tomorrow night. Tune in. Uh, it'll be got uh, 6 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Mountain, 8 p.m. Central, 9 p.m. Eastern. Uh, got him on for two hours, and then after that, oh, there is somebody. Oh, we're hoping to have uh, the night. Ohio Night uh, Stalkers Sandals. We're ta- talking about uh, um, my great friends Mike and and uh, oh gosh, I've just been talking to so many people. Uh, Mike Feltner and um, his partner coming on. Oh, I feel so bad. His name escapes me, but he's a great guy. And uh, we're going to have those guys come on and talk about some of uh, their research that's been taking place in Ohio and the Shawnee National Forest of southern Ohio. Uh, yeah, so definitely, I mean, you can stay tuned with MNBRT Radio on our public page here on Facebook. You can always check up on Minnesota Bigfoot Research Team on that public page as well, see what's going on. Uh, just uh, so much happening. i gotta got to say a big thanks to you guys again. And, uh, Julie Wrench for helping out, and uh, Lorraine, Lorraine uh, Duvall, um, I know she's uh, got something going on, my prayers and thoughts are with her as well, and so, yeah, you guys have just been awesome and fun, and Gunner can't wait to hang with you someday, Shane, we gotta go <laughs> squatching, my man, we gotta squatch on. <laughs> oh, hey, thank you so much for, for joining us this evening on Monster X Radio, or running up against the clock as as uh one of those it's just one of those shows where the time went by way too fast. So So everybody I would uh, encourage you to listen in to Apes uh show his podcast is on Mondays and you can look it up on Facebook and find Abe Del Rio otherwise known as Elusive One, on Facebook, and you can find his podcast, awesome podcast, um, uh, and schedule through there. So, again, Abe, love your brother. Thanks for for joining us tonight. Thank you guys so much. It's been a blast. Love to get you guys on sometime. Happy to do it. And uh, have a have a, a great Christmas, and we will you talk to you soon. All, All right. right. Thank Squash you, everybody. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us this evening on Monster X Radio, and we will be back next Sunday night at 6 p.m. Pacific. That makes it, uh, what is that, over in uh, Eastern? Oh, it's later, 7 p.m. Eastern. And uh, we will have another great guest 
thanks again for joining us. Go over, stop by Sasquatch Coffee, which is SquatchCoffee.com, and and uh, get your yourself and your loved ones some Sasquatch Coffee for the holidays. Again, thank you for my co-host Shane, Hardcore Corson, and myself, Gunnar Monson. Monster X Radio. We'll be back next Sunday. Have a great week until then. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>